Hey, everybody, and welcome to Touchline Thoughts, powered by the Garage Door Sports Network. I'm your host, Irfan Manji. Today's guest is a writer, public speaker, award-winning sports activist. She is a co-creator of the podcast, Burn It All Down. She is on the advisory board for Football Against Racism in Europe, the FAIR organization. Here's a hint. Her Twitter bio says, I really don't have time for nonsense. I'll give you a couple of seconds to figure it out, and we'll catch you in a bit. Were you able to figure it out? No? Well, that's okay, because I'd like to introduce a very special guest, Shireen Ahmed, to our show today. Shireen, how are you doing today? Good, thanks, Sirfan. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We always want people with high IQs in the sports world that know what they're talking about and that support (laughs) all facets of the game. So I really appreciate you hopping on with us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. And low-key thanks to Haley McGoldrick. Uh, for helping set this up. She is phenomenal and she continues to make headway. So thank you to her. Haley's fabulous. Yeah. So that was a great connect. So for our first segment, we're going back to our starting 11. I know last week we moved away and went through the coach's eyes with our resident coach, uh, Kieran, but today we're going to go back to our starting 11. And I wanted to go through a few things with Shireen. First of all, um, before we get into the meat of the stuff, can we talk quickly about that incident that happened last weekend between Sergio Aguero and assistant referee Cian Messi Alice? For context, uh, Aguero in the 42nd minute of City's 1 0 win over Arsenal grabbed Messi Ellis's shoulder rather, rather uncomfortably, and that created a bunch of spark and a bunch of debate on Twitter. Uh, did you get a chance to, to look into that, Shireen? I didn't see it in real time. I saw it afterwards. I mean, I was checking the scores, obviously, because uh, uh, my team was playing. Uh, and this is probably a spoiler. But yeah, Arsenal was playing. And I was always, I always checked to see how badly they're losing. And I saw that and I was aghast. It, it's, a, it's like the clip. There's no, there's no debate that any I mean. I don't care what Pep Guardiola says. It was unacceptable. You don't, you don't treat an assistant referee like that particularly Mm -hmm. one who is a woman and you know I think the thing is the debate on Twitter was people replying back with like oh but Paul Pahaba does this he puts his hand on someone's bald head and then someone else does this this isn't what we're talking about this assistant referee doesn't have the same level of power necessarily although the dynamic should be established that he shouldn't be able to feel like he has access to touch her in that way it mm-hmm. was totally inappropriate and her body language she was swatting him away yeah like i just i didn't like it he's not a friend they're not at a social event and even if they were don't touch somebody like absolutely yeah. do not touch somebody mm-hmm. like that no and i think he was super cringy like i was watching parts of the game and then for some reason i missed it when that happened because i was multitasking but when I checked back, like you said, through social media and looked at it, I was mm-hmm. like, yo, what the hell did I miss? This is absolutely disgusting. Like, doesn't matter who the referee is. I don't think you should cringely touch someone on the shoulder or the neck or the face or it doesn't matter who it is. Just don't touch them. Like, respect the game. And I'm, I'm quite surprised that Chris Cavanaugh, the referee of that match, didn't 
say anything in ha- after half time or do something in the moment or that uh, Messi Ellis didn't flag it because I think I think Aguero got away with something that isn't appropriate for the game. Well, I will disagree with you on just one thing. I, I sure. think it does matter who it is. Okay. I think it really matters who it is. And I think mm-hmm. that's the point where you're talking about Chris Kavanaugh not doing anything. It absolutely matters because when we're in a place and a space where we're trying to say there are spaces for women here, there's spaces for marginalized groups, this incident certainly didn't show that. And Chris Kavanaugh did not do his job. He should have interceded and intervened and he did Mm -hmm. not and I mean you can talk about and we know that FIFA and we know that UEFA love you know technicalities they have uh, you know processes and points for this and that and playbooks and rules and policies Mm -hmm. but the fact of the matter is there is an existent power dynamic where she is not the one in power despite being one of the officials so Kavanaugh should have flagged this and, you know, there's arguments that it wasn't egregious. He wasn't super aggressive. But the fact that she's literally physically saying no should be enough. It shouldn't mm-hmm. have to be that he's like, you know, tackling her to the ground in order for it to warrant some mm-hmm. type of thing. And if we don't pay attention to who it is, then we're not going to get forward in addressing the conversations that need to be had. Perfect. No, I appreciate that. Um, so what would you say to Pep Guardiola with his comments? Um, I can quote them quickly is, Hey, come on, guys. Come on, guys. Sergio is the nicest person I've ever met. We can look at the problems in other situations, but not this one. Come on. So what would you say to Pep Guardiola if he's in front of you right now? First of all, stop talking. Oh, my <laughs> God. Pep Guardiola, you, every time you say something, it makes it worse. Like, don't comment on race. Don't comment on gender. Don't comment on anything except for, like, your Massimo Duty sweaters. Like, to just comment on that. The mm-hmm. problem with what he said is that, oh, he's a nice guy. Well, so isn't that what people say about Cristiano Ronaldo? And mm-hmm. he raped somebody. So right. like nice guys can do crappy things. That's not an excuse. And I mean, it's just, he's trying to be like, there's not an issue here. It's not an issue for you. The people for whom these type of incidents, they do, doesn't affect their life. They're the first ones to say it. it's not a problem. Well, mm-hmm. it's not a problem for you, buddy, but it was, it's a problem for a lot lot of other people agreed agreed yeah no I think you're completely right and I think if I was in your shoes and I had to for example say something to Pep I'd be like just focus on the game I don't think this problem is something you can have an opinion on because it probably doesn't affect them on a day-to-day basis Um, the thing when I was looking up facts about uh, Messi Ellis because I wanted to see how many games she's refereed and there's over a hundred matches like we can go back to her days in the in the youth league um, mm-hmm. we can go to her days like early Premier League like she's done over hundreds of matches as an assistant referee but when I typed in like her referee stats if you scroll down you know how like Google gives you hits of like the top 15 or top 20 depending on your settings if you scroll down to about the 15th and onwards you start to see this story being aligned with her name that like Sergio Aguero and and referee so like I don't I think you're right in the sense that people don't realize that what impact this could have on on a young referee who's you know assistant referee and she's a woman that this is always going to be paired to her name like so Aguero is going to walk away from this and like as if nothing's happened but for her it's going to be paired to her name how do you navigate that situation if you're a young referee or wanting to be a referee and you know that a situation like this is going to come up and it's going to it's going to be paired with your name for a while yeah there's a reason why um 
Masialis didn't actually say anything publicly. I mean, I think beyond also the bounds of her professionalism and ethically, I don't know if she's permitted to from that code, but also she may not want to be known as the woman who, the, the official who Aguero uh, was touching. Like who wants that mm-hmm. as, you know, and I think this is very important to talk about it, particularly in the way that we frame the discussions. Mm-hmm. Why are they even being framed like this? Mm-hmm. This is hugely problematic. And you're right. How does somebody navigate it? You know, with unfortunately, with as much as you can do to, you know, self-preserve, what will help you get through this moment? Like do what you need to do. That's always my advice, whether it's a young efficient, whether it's an aspiring sports journalist, do what you need to do to get through that because the system wasn't created to include women, racialized folks, queer communities. It wasn't. It wasn't meant to include people and be aware and conscious of their needs so we have to make up those rules as we go and take care of ourselves that would be my advice so speaking of the match that occurred between arsenal and city on the weekend past this incident you said you're an arsenal fan um long suffering Uh, arsenal fan so how long have you been an arsenal fan for well, I mean, without dating myself too much, I was alive and well and enjoying the days of Thierry Henry. Like, I think that, that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. He's, he was one of the reasons. He, he just brought a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember loving Le Bleu so much. Like, Zidane is one of my favorite players of all time. Like, Lilian Thuram, like that, mm-hmm. you know, Petit, all those, 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 I just, I loved that time. Mm-hmm. And there was some, and I loved the discussion around the politics of it and the politicization of it. And fast forward, you know, so many years to them winning now, it's just, it's wild to me. It's wonderful. So, um, you know, I think getting back to that, that has a lot to do with it. And I mean, there's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in our son, we trust a hundred percent. I mean, one of my favorite moments is when like our son Wenger is pushing Mourinho, Jose Mourinho, because <laughs> yeah. everybody should be pushing Jose, like Mourinho, in my opinion. But, um, you know, uh, but that's it. I think one of the things that's excited me is the woman's side. Mm-hmm. Like Vivian Midema is a superstar and just not just Dutch football, but just like a global icon in the women's game. And so I protect my dignity by, you know, asserting that I am an Arsenal women's side fan because that that keeps me going like go Gunners you know yeah yeah Gunners yeah and all that I also think the conversations that are being had by Arsenal communities and players are really interesting Mm -hmm. I think Masoud Ozil is really really pushing the limits of discussions to be had in proper football and I find that fascinating to observe um it's so complex in so many ways. And, and and I don't think the Premier League is equipped. The pundits certainly are not in order to, you know, analyze this. That's why one of my favorite commentators, and this, I, I, he's not a pundit per se, but writers is Musa Kwanga of Stadio Podcast. I love him. And Musa is brilliant and has such a rich and profound perspective on sports and politics and political sport. Mm-hmm. So, um, the conversations are really intense and, and, and they're, but I think the people commenting on them lack depth. That's why, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be vacuous. It can be interesting. It can be, you know, emboldened by, you know, more discussions, which is, I think, something that needs to happen in sports generally. For sure. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I, I like how you referred back to the Henri days because I think whenever I talk to an Arsenal fan, they go back to the Invincibles. <laughs> they go back to the time where Arsene Wenger was arguably the best manager in the world, like past Fergie, and Fergie had a fantastic career for United. Um, but when you talk about that team and you start to compare it to the recent days, you're like, eh, it's a little different. But I like how you're you're able to transition over to the women's team because um, they're doing a great job. They're growing the game fantastically. They're they're fun to watch. And I think that if you're an Arsenal fan of the men's team, I think they should give a chance to the women's side because I think the football there is a little bit better. But I'm also biased to that because I think they're great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and just even the the way that they interact with each other, like Aubameyang and you know, and crew. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to be part of the crew, and I just I. I, I find that team has a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. Like who doesn't love Lacazette and just like, you know, just the conversations about it. Don't even ask me about David Luiz. Like I can't talk about it. It okay. upsets me to no end. I don't know. I don't know why he's there. I don't okay. know why he holds the position he has, but it, it just could be the football goddesses like trolling me. This is what mm-hmm. I think is happening with, with Louise. So if we don't talk about Louise, that would be great. <laughs> okay, cool. I was just going to maybe follow up with that, but I won't. But uh, so then what I will follow up with, and I know yeah. we'll talk about it in our off the bench for a little bit, but do you think the treatment of Mesut Ozil is warranted? Do you think you should be given a chance to play? Of course you should be given a chance to play. I think every everybody should be given a chance to play. I think, uh, there's reasons, there's, uh, you know, there's conversations about Arteta. I don't think these decisions are coming from Arteta. I think they're coming from the higher ups. And we have a tendency to divorce uh, what's happening on the field from it, like ownership. And I don't think we can do that. It's the final decisions are, you know, they theoretically they should be up to the manager, but they're not. And I feel this strongly. I think it's coming from somewhere else. I think that someone is trying to tell him to shut up and he doesn't take to that and he shouldn't and like nor no. should he mm-hmm. and we don't live in a phase in a space in time that athletes will shut up and dribble it just won't happen and not just in north america in, in any in any sphere quite frankly mm-hmm. and i think this is this is part of the thing i do you know i have technical very technical concerns with Masoud Ozil. I don't think he's consistent. I think that sometimes his head in the game, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes he can be a playmaker extraordinaire. Sometimes his assists are amazing. And then he falls flat. So I have concerns about that. <laughs> but I also think that when you have a player of that magnitude and that popularity, you need to apply a different rule book with them. And I like I just don't have that confidence in the in the office and in the way it's being done. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. I think if you're trying to compare, let's say the last 15 to 20 years, social media and being able to use your voice through social media is at an all-time high. And he's one of those people that isn't going to sit around. Like he just went and paid for the mascot's salary because he's like, yo, why the hell not? And then talked about it. So I, I don't think, like you said, Arsenal is ready for somebody to to use their platform and speak out. And I think that's contrary to the situation we're all placed in right now with the black lives movement with people speaking up or people talking and using that platform to speak up um albeit he's not using uh, blm as a a way to speak but he's also uh, speaking about what he believes in and how he believes as a person like i think people forget that there's a footballer but behind the footballer there's a person and i think they're entitled to have opinions on situations 
Sure. Well, I mean, why would they not? And and mm-hmm. and I think that whether it's Uyghur Muslims in China that he's talking about, he's talking about, you know, di- di- many different things. And that's one of the reasons that he was allegedly penalized was because he was speaking very, um, you know, critically mm-hmm. of, of China. And, and that took, you know, the investors were upset and you get everybody uh, ruffled. But Masood Azil's also history in Europe is 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 storied to a degree but also it's been unfortunate like the falling out with the like you know the german team the national team him leaving in the way that he did mm-hmm. you know the absolutely on record levels of systemic racism that exists there and xenophobia so he hasn't had an easy career and it's difficult like when you know you have potential and you want to be able to give him that chance so for him arsenal was home mm-hmm. and then to be unwanted and disliked in that space so publicly i mean he must have been humiliated not to be you know not to be listed on the roster like that that would have been terrible and particularly someone who was pre has previously captained this team so it's not great by any means and they need to fix it well i hope they do uh so quickly going over to the other side of arsenal the arsenal women like you said you follow and you love and you appreciate them um do you think they have what it takes to win the fa wsl this year uh, currently they're in first based on what I have in front of me with 15 points. They've won all five games that they've played in scored 29 and I've allowed four. They are flying. Do you think this continues? I do. I have a, I have a lot of faith in their system. I think they're, I think they're really solid in their dedication and commitment and and the chemistry on the pitch is, is, is also something that I want to speak to and just sort of say, I mean, and the Super League has amazing, amazing, uh, you know, teams. And there's been an influx to Europe from North America. I mean, Jesse Fleming was recently, will be starting soon with Chelsea. So there'll be a little bit more competition in that way. Like the, it's just getting better and better. And, you know, I'm here for it. Like, I think that that's going to be just something that I'm looking forward to quite, quite, quite frankly. I love Arsenal women's side. I think that they don't always get the credit and people are like, oh, you know, is it is it is it a thing and nobody watches the games and Danielle Vandedonk is <laughs> is incredible. Like you've got a series like Kim Little, like you've just you've got Australian national players. You've got Dutch ones like, you know, Lydia Williams like holding it down. I just I also, above everything, really feel, as I said, that their their chemistry mm-hmm. works. Like they're a system, a fluid system, and that's not necessarily representative of English football when you've got non-English players making up the majority of your squad. Mm-hmm. But what it does talk is to the, speak to is the best of the best, and what does that look? like i mean we could have the same conversation with olympique lyonnais but yeah those women's a specific brand of french football that is elite yeah and uh, i love them desperately because i would be a fool not to mm-hmm. but i am a fool because i love paris saint germain for the characters <laughs> and the roster there too and their swag oh my god nadine adim is the swaggiest person i've ever seen like mm-hmm. obsessed with her so you know, I just, there's a clinical way in which Arsenal women's side play and I'm here for it. It's, it's, sure. it's simple and it's smart football. It's, it's engaging football, right? And I mm-hmm. think that brings in audiences and they bring in young girls, young, young athletes that want to 
you know, grow the game, watch the game and potentially get to that level of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I think Arsenal women are really good. I think, you know, Chelsea's gotten better. United's gotten better. City's good in the, in the Super League. But do you think for Arsenal last year, they lost to PSG in the Champions League, albeit they didn't have enough time to prep for that match. And I think they should have won that game. But mm-hmm. do you think their dominance, current dominance in, in the Super League can translate into European glory? Oh, I love, I love the Champs League for women. I love the Champs League period. I think that it's a fantastic tournament. You see the best in every country. And I hope so. I mean, France is, France is the elite. People may not like that I'm saying this considering the NWSL, but oh, wow. Like the French League for women is, and the Bundesliga. I know mm-hmm. all my friends in Wolfsburg are like, what are you talking about, Shireen? Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg. <laughs> and I get it. Like Frauen Bundesliga is another level. Mm-hmm. And Frauen Bundesliga actually happens to be one of the leagues with the most with the most openness to to different players internationally. And there's different leagues and different tiers within that. So I think it's a it's a wonderful machine mm-hmm. for uh, you know, you know, just you know, the gears in that German engine and that football engine keep going. But I I I do I think that the level of technical skill in Arsenal and game IQ is very high, but it has to match a level of creativity and genius that comes up from France. Mm-hmm. That's just particular to France. There's something about that place. Yeah. I mean, I have so many criticism for it as a, like, as a country and their policy, yes. but in terms of football, I just, I can hear my co-host Brenda, Dr. Brenda Elsie saying, decolonize your mind. Cause I'm so obsessed with <laughs> French football, but um there's something about it that's unique. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether or not Arsenal can win, I do not know to answer your question, but I would love to see them try. Yeah. I mean, they were close last year. I thought if they had a little bit more prep time, <laughs> they, I generally think if they have prep time and they were a little bit healthier and not, you know, strapped for, for time, I, they could have played Lyon later on, or they could have played um, past, gone and past PSG. And, and, and I like how you, how you said, like, there's a level of women's sports in, in terms of like women's soccer, I should say in, in France that, seems to lead the pack but I, I do hope that England soccer is getting there and um, especially with the Super League being more available for everyone to watch I think it, it would it's going to up the game slowly mm-hmm. at least that's that's my personal hope because I do enjoy watching it so I guess to transition into since we're talking about like women athletes and young women athletes how what is your advice to uh, young women athletes and young people of color wanting to go down the athletic route Oh, there's, it's so, it's, it's not an easy system to navigate. First of all, there's barriers of all kinds, whether it's cultural understanding, understanding of race and all these things. It's so expensive. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to be, you know, shallow and be like, well, if you just work hard, you'll make it because that's not how the world works. It actually is not. If you work hard and get there, it's actually because some of those barriers weren't there for you as they were for other people. And don't forget, not all racialized communities have the same type of barriers. Like I've had kids that play rep sports, but only because I'm in a position where we can afford it. Mm -hmm. And not everybody can. I know so many South Asians that are my generation and even younger that never could afford to play ice hockey, so play ball hockey. And it became a huge thing in the GTA. And it was simply because they couldn't access you know, the, the equipment, hockey equipment's insanely expensive. And, yep. you know, this is something that I think we forget. 
And also when your kids and you're growing so fast, you grow out of it quickly. Who's going to spend like $500 on pads when you're going to use it for six months? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons I never let my kids play hockey, I was like, no, I'm not, well, I'm not getting up <laughs> at five in the morning, oh. but, um, but I think the, the thing is, is that find your community in sports. That's mm-hmm. one thing I would advise. Find your community, uh, do what you need to do, have the conversations that, maybe difficult but need to be had and if you can't do them yourself find people that can help you with that so find your leaders find the people in your community find and I don't mean like cultural or racial community I mean your sports community find other BIPOC find coaches find a mentor find someone that'll give you a hand because there's a lot of really great people in the sports scene just find your people because that will help more than anything with the guidance and the support and the understanding and when you feel isolated because you're really not just the problem is we may not know that each other exist mm-hmm. and when that happens you even if it's one or two people you still feel so much more of something and mm-hmm. more of a teammate because I mean being the only black hockey player on a team being the only Muslim on a team being the only you know South Asian diasporic person on a team these are all things that we don't realize because we're we're part of one like quote-unquote team culture but whose culture is that really you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think about that quite a bit. I think about it when I thought back to Yaya Toure and playing at Man City and, you know, not wanting to be, or Frank Ribery, when he was at Bayern Munich, he didn't want, you know, the the whiskey you would receive at the end for being player of the match because he's Muslim. Like, whose culture are we talking about when we talk about team culture? And right. just being open to new conversations and new things. And I think that, that's the part that I grapple with, with sports culture. So to those kids out there, you know, support yourself in this process because it is a process and hopefully it's a long one for you, like a long career. Yeah. And I mean, don't, don't go down on your luck early on. Like if you face one barrier, it doesn't mean you can't get past that barrier. Just make sure you find the right people in the right bubble because there's people out there that will support you no matter what your endeavors are. And I think that's important to, to underline and and personally for me because that's that's how I did it because I was the only colored hockey player or the only colored soccer player or the only colored volleyball player or the only colored baseball player um and so it was like finding that right person finding the right bubble and fitting in like you got to do your best to fit in but also express who you are as an individual for sure um so I'm gonna ask you a loaded question and I won't ask you to go into (laughs) details about this but I think I just started thinking about it because I started to um listen to your TED talk for a little while ago um where you mentioned like blue girl and you mentioned open stadiums and 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 all that with the inequality and the discrepancy between men and women's sports um I guess I'm going to do my best to frame it so I apologize if I if I don't ask this correctly so please correct me if I don't but how do we change the stigma between men and women's sports, not only within North America, but also in Europe, also worldwide, because each cultural, uh, I guess, each cultural background or each each country or each part of the world has a different way of approaching, you know, pay gaps or inequality. How do we how do we change the stigma if I'm all the way from North America, but I want to I want to do something and help and raise um, awareness of something that's going on in Europe or in, in the Middle East or in South Asia? How do, how do I do something? Well, I understanding that each place and each region has its own challenges and own particular culture and practices 
there are some things that are the root of all evil and toxic misogyny is one of them. I've done work globally, locally, nationally. And the one thing that I've noted, whether it was in Lagos, Nigeria, whether it was in Copenhagen, Denmark, whether it was in Karachi, Pakistan, the systems of oppression of women are controlled by men. And that's just a fact. That's wherever you go. The struggles that women have in Latinx countries in South America are similar and they're, they're not un dissimilar to the other places in the world. So we can identify this. When I talk about struggles that Muslim women have in Iran to mm -hmm. access places, I mean, those decisions are made by men and the majority of international governing bodies when they create policies, again, are made by men. So I think this is something we have to keep in mind, but you're right that we need to keep... I'm not interested in people being white saviors or, you know, global North saviors and saying, mm -hmm. well, I think this should be fixed this way because you really have to let the people at the center of that challenge lead the discussion and the movement. They need to lead the way. I don't want people from North America taking over and explaining to women in Tehran who have been doing this for 15 years almost what mm -hmm. to do. That's not how this works. Yeah. But what people can do is, is listen and let them lead, be told what they need in order to, uh, support. What do we need to do? Is it amplifying a news article? Is it donating a dollar to a campaign? What is it? Uh, can you give up your coffee for a week? Like what, what is required here? I think that media has a lot to do with this and that there's places like this, even as podcasts and even these conversations, were not ones that were happening 10, 15 years ago mm -hmm. because of lack of access, but this gives us an opportunity to seek out information. So you know, you are able to, through social media, to find responsible reporting, to find independent media, whether it's burn it all down, whether it's touchline, whatever it is, you're able to find it, you know, you're able to find journalists who are committed truth telling, who are dedicated and sound, who don't mm -hmm. have an agenda, who don't partake in larger, you know, schemes of media. And uh, that kind of thing. So I think it's, it's, there's no easy answer, but try yeah. to be helpful and mm -hmm. not overshadow. Yeah. Don't make it about us here in North America, but like you said, support and see what you can do and let them lead the way. And I, and I like how you, you phrased all that. Um, so then in terms of that, do you have any suggestions for people to follow outlets or listen to, for example, if they need to follow the open stadiums, conversation or they want to follow something going around uh in europe um do you have a good outlet for them or it's just try and find it based on your like google search it like how do you how do we do that well i'm reluctant to tell people to google search <laughs> right because google right. can google can sometimes take you down like like a rabbit hole of stuff mm -hmm. i mean of course my first stop is always going to be burn it all down i'm very 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 proud of what we built in three years and to be recognized not just in like scholarly work but in media and by colleagues and by you know supporters and communities all over the place that's very fulfilling so yes absolutely check out burn it all down podcast um and follow us individually i also think when you follow people that are smart and savvy and invested you see who they follow and you see who they retweet and whose work they cite. And this is important because this is what led me ultimately to building a community and finding things. My, my view is quite global and I have, I'm proud to say I have colleagues and friends all over the world whose work I look to and I learn from constantly. I mean, there's Natasha Rahil who's in uh, Karachi. There's uh, Janine Anthony in Lagos. Uh, there's Asiya Hamdi in Paris. 
There's, you know, just uh, like Marianne Reimers in Mexico City. Uh, you know, I think that there's there's people all over the world that we need to keep a lookout for mm-hmm. and not exclude and disclude them because, you know, they they don't live in our region. We have the the world at our fingertips. So there's so many people like my own co-host, Jessica Luther, Dr. Amir Rose Davis. Dr. Brenda Elsie and Lindsay Gibbs, we all have different levels of expertise in things and we have, you know, different areas in which we specialize. So mm-hmm. um, I learn from them constantly, constantly. I learn from them. So I'm, you know, quite happy. I have a couple of favorites, obviously, and you'll see them like Dr. Courtney Sito in this country. I don't understand how people can engage in hockey without knowing who she is. Mm-hmm. And her book changing on the fly just came out. I think she's brilliant. And I think she's the foremost brilliant mind of hockey in this country and if you told me five years ago that the most sought after hockey mind in this country would be a Chinese Canadian woman from Vancouver who Mm -hmm. teaches at Queens I would think you were out of your mind Mm -hmm. but that's where we are right now and I want to just keep going oh that's amazing thank you uh for our listeners I'm going to ask Shireen for the list again because I was trying to write as she spoke uh, and got a couple of names and not all of them but I will tweet them out from our touchline thoughts account so you can follow some fantastic individuals who who know what they're talking about who know what they're doing um, and this is what informed learning is all about uh well that i think that 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 does it for our starting 11 segment uh i think we talked about a lot of very important things we covered uh the massey ellis uh and aguero conversation we we spoke about um Arsenal Women's Football League and Arsenal FC. We, we spoke about growing the game. Uh, we, we, we touched based on barriers. We talked about um, how do we as individuals uh, expand our knowledge. And, and I think we did a good job with covering that. So I appreciate that, Shireen. Um, so why don't we continue on with the early tradition of our off the bench segment? We follow okay. the spirit of the five substitution rule um, because everyone except England apparently can <laughs> do five substitutions, but they can't. Um, but anyway, so here are our five major stories from this past week. Congratulations to Kaylin Kyle for becoming the first female color commentator to call a La Liga game in North America. She called the Atletico Madrid versus. Salta Vigo last weekend. Congratulations to the Portland Thorns, Houston Dash, and Washington Spirit for finishing one, two, and three respectively in the NWSL Fall Series. Verizon provided grants to the community partners of the top three winners. So Portland was paired with Mimi's Fresh Tea and they received $25,000. Houston with the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People the Houston branch and 15,000 went their way and the spirit with DC scores who got $10,000. Mesut Ozil, who has been left off of Arsenal's 25 man premier league team. Liverpool and Manchester United headlined another news story this past week. This time they were talking about the creation of a super European premier league with 18 of the best. In other words, the richest clubs in Europe. This FIFA-backed tournament would be funded by Wall Street Bank JP Morgan for £4.6 billion, and the teams would play mid midweek for about 34 match days. Currently, UEFA are against the league's formation, but the Super League looks to kick off in 2022. 
So is that like a champs league within a champs league within a champs league? Is that what's happening? I don't even understand. No. So basically <laughs> it's like they'll have the premier league do its thing, but then uh, this new super league would replace the champions league and only the 18 best would participate. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> Forge FC defeated CD Municipal Limeño 2-1 in the preliminary round of the CONCACAF League. With this win, Forge move on to round 16 and will take on Toro FC of Panama on November 3rd. Well, that does it for our Off the Bench segment. And that also finishes up episode 6 of Touchline Thoughts. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, give us a like or leave a rating. You can follow us on Twitter at TouchlineTH. You can follow me at Irfan Manji. You can follow Shireen at underscore Shireen Ahmed underscore. Don't forget the underscores. And her podcast at Burn It Down Pod. And her website at www.shireenahmed.com. She has fantastic things about her work and what she's about. So please take a look at that as well don't forget to follow our network at garage door sport or check out our website at garagedoorsports.com uh we always have new articles and uh announcements of potentially new shows being launched so please take a look at that uh thank you again to shireen for taking the time out of her busy schedule to be here really appreciate everything you stand for uh and appreciate you as a person so thank you very much Thank you so much for having me, Irfan. Of course. And thank you to all our listeners. uh, And we'll see you next match day. Cheers.